This is the end of a beautiful friendship I know Cause your eyes told me so We used to be like sister and brother Until tonight when we looked at each other That was the end This is the Singer's Tension Podcast The podcast by singers, about singing, for singers This is the end of a beautiful friendship It ended a moment ago Welcome to the Singer's Tension Podcast. My name is Gordon Erickson, and today I am here with Toronto-based jazz singer Laura Anglade. First found Laura through the wonders of Instagram, where I fell in love with her old-style classical sound for jazz singing. And I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today, Laura. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for being here. So since jazz is not my bread and butter style, but it's something that I really love to do, I love to sing it. I have so many questions for you as someone that's working solely in this style. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how you got into jazz music to begin with. Yeah, so well, my parents both uh, played music as a hobby. My dad plays gypsy jazz guitar and um, my mom classical piano. So I, uh, I always had it, you know, in the house. Um, I started taking singing lessons when I became interested in musical theater. And also I was taking choir at school. Um, So I just, I knew I wanted to sing. I didn't know that I wanted to do jazz right away. I was just kind of trying to find my sound, I guess. Um, And uh, my, my voice teacher actually really changed my life. You know, he gave me the tools and techniques over a period of, of, uh, five years or so and and having grown up in Connecticut we were really close to New York City um and then we started doing a little bit of jazz and and he introduced me to a friend of his um which who whose name is David Lom uh whose mother was actually Dorothy Fields uh which is one of the the big composers she she wrote uh, a lot of lyrics to the jazz standards that we know and love so that was pretty special um and uh, jazz wasn't really my my voice teacher's main thing either. Uh, so he really just taught me technique, and then he he kind of introduced me to to other people who who could bring me into the world of jazz. But as far as technique goes, it was really thanks to to him. Do you feel like your voice always naturally suited jazz above other things? Did anyone ever tell you that that it really suited it? I think so. Um, I tried a lot of different things. Like I loved I loved musical theater, so we did a lot of that with with my teacher. Um, and it's funny because the the Great American Songbook actually a lot of that music comes from musical theater, right? So so that was interesting to kind of segue into into um, into jazz that way because a lot of it was the same repertoire. Um, so I loved I loved the storytelling aspect of it. Of course, you know I knew that like classical singing wasn't for me. I tried it. I just I felt like it it didn't suit me very well. It just sort of fit, I guess. There wasn't really a moment where I was like, oh. I know I want to do jazz. I sort of just like eased into it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I feel like sometimes we have people very clearly tell us, oh, your voice suits this style. And sometimes mm. we fall into it and kind of shape our own thing. So that's always interesting. Did you feel like there were certain artists that were really inspiring you and pulling you towards jazz? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, towards the beginning, maybe not so much, but over time when I was really... um like studying the the craft there's a lot of of history to go through of course and and you know as music being the music being black american music um i was really digging into you know carmen mcrae uh ella fitzgerald billy holiday shirley horn 70s 
Sarah Vaughn, all of those. Um, and I, I learned to appreciate them over time. And I think I go through phases. It's, it's funny, like I, I really go through phases of, of, of the artists that I love. To name a few, a few other artists, um, Blossom Deary, I love, I love like Bob Duro and Mel Torme and Anita O'Day. And, and, and um, yeah, I guess that, those are those are probably the, the, the ones that I, I love to name others as well. When you were living in Montreal and now in Toronto, are there local mus- musicians that you really turn to and they're always kind of looking at what they're doing as well that inspire you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say for sure, uh, just from going to jam sessions and, and meeting a bunch of people, I, I haven't lived in Toronto for too, too long, uh, but mainly in Montreal, I was there for, for six years. Um, and I met, you know, like Sam Kermeyer and I met Valerie Lacombe and, and those, they became, um, part of my quintet later on and, and somebody like, like Al McLean, who I really looked up to as well. So I met them all at, at the jam session and I, I really learned from them just by performing and, and listening to them. And these were just community jam sessions. Is that how you first met them? Absolutely. Yep. That's right. Yeah. I met, so I met a lot of them through the jam session and I, I didn't go to school for music, so I didn't have that. Um, like student community, if you will. My, my The way I learned was really just like from going out and playing with people and meeting people um, on the scene. So then I I met others through mainly like the McGill scene uh, because when I met a few of them at the jam session, they would set up what we call sessions at school, um, which is really just like when people put groups and ensembles together to play with each other and see if there's a good vibe there and see if, if, if a project can come of it or just to just to play music. Um, that's really a big part of the of the jazz culture um, to set up sessions. And so I met a lot of people on the McGill scene that way. So you didn't ever attend post-secondary education for singing. It was always just things that you picked up from listening and playing around. Yep, exactly. Yep, one hundred percent. So, um, you know that that goes into into improvising as well. Like I, I I just learned from transcribing a lot. You know, particularly saxophone. Um, a lot of Dexter Gordon solos <laughs> from going to to jam sessions and performing and and being on the scene and just absorbing the language that way. And you mentioned transcribing. Was that how you went about learning different types of um, riffs for jazz or what was the, the point of the transcribing? Yeah, well, transcribing is really important um, just, just again for absorbing the language. Um, so the more that you expose yourself to, you know, solos like particularly saxophone, I, I did a lot of um, I would do a lot of Dexter Gordon and, and Charlie Parker and, and other singers as well. And it's really just a matter of trying to uh, learn the language just by letting my ear absorb it, I guess. And, and the more that you transcribe, the better you get. Um, just in terms of like of, of how quickly you can do a solo as well. And, and it just builds your, your confidence the more that you expose yourself to the language. Because that's really, that's really you know, how, you, how you learn, at least for me. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you need to understand chord progressions and the theory, but there is a certain element of just absorbing that music through listening to it a lot and and then building that confidence like, oh, I'm going to try this and and maybe this this time. And you only really get that by listening to lots of different artists and not just singers, but other musicians too, because any... um, bass player or saxophone player whatever with the ability to do a riff has also done the same work by listening to other musicians so it transfers into singing as well 
Right. Yes, definitely. So what do you have in the works right now in your pulls to Toronto? What's going on for you there? So I uh, I have a second album in the works. It's a duo album with Sam Kermeyer on guitar, who's based in Montreal. We're going to do uh, a, fr- a album based on French classics. So that's that's in the works. We haven't been able to record it yet because of the pandemic, but um, we have all the music together. So hopefully we'll release that as soon as possible. Um, and yeah, that's really been my main project right now is my second album. Uh, it's been exciting. I can't believe it's my second one already. Uh, time really does fly by. Is that what pulled you to Toronto was your work with Sam? Or why did you make that move from Montreal? Uh, so Sam is, is based in Montreal, actually. Um, no, I, I moved to Toronto because I, I just, I wanted to, you know, meet more people and, and get to play with, with more people really just, just have kind of something fresh and, and get in on a new scene. And I think it's always good to, to do that, uh, as a, an artist, you know, to just be exposed to different things and, and different people. I totally agree. And what do you feel the world of jazz looks like for a young singer that's trying to make it in the industry right now? What does that road kind of look like, especially within Canada? Or do you think that it needs to be a U.S.-Canada thing, depending on the job opportunities? I think it's it's pretty universal. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, for a young for a young singer, um, I would say you just have to show up. So just go to jam sessions. Obviously, right now it's hard <laughs> with the pandemic, but Go to jam sessions, go meet people, you know, introduce yourself. You have to really step out of your comfort zone and try to get as as many performance opportunities as you can. Um, Again, I didn't go to school, so I didn't have peers that I could just connect with and go hang with. And I'm I'm pretty shy, so it was was a pretty big deal (laughs) for me to go out um, to jam sessions and just sort of sing and get myself up there. But definitely, you know, like obviously we can't perform right now, but just just reach out reach out to musicians that inspire you surround yourself with people who are better than you you know don't be afraid to let your guard down and your ego down especially i think also in order to to try to to make it i think you you have to accept criticism you know i think that's really important um i i went to a workshop in in new york actually back in january and the one thing i really took away from from that was when when the panel said you know, if, if a well-known, respected musician goes out of their way to give you a piece of advice, no matter how nasty or rude or personal you you take it, they they probably did it in your best interest because they hear some kind of potential in you. And I thought that was so interesting, you know, um, and that really stayed with me. And I think, I think yeah, th- those would be the things that I would say um, to do to, to try to make it in any scene. You know, it, it really is universal. Um, that being said, it's really important to reach out to other cultures as well and try to see as much of the world as you can. Do you have a piece of really amazing advice that you've been giving as a singer that really stands out for you? I think just to to be authentic, you know, it sounds cliche, I guess, but just, just you know, be yourself. I find like, um, especially on stage, I'm I'm quite shy. So as soon as it clicked for me that I don't have to put on a character you know like I can just be myself it's okay if I don't talk to the audience too much like of course I do need to be present um but and in terms of you know connecting with the audience too don't don't talk to the audience but rather at the audience because if you expect a response on stage you're not you're often not going to get it you're just going to get like smiles and laughs and then it just gets a little awkward (laughs) 
that was something that was like for stage presence especially um yeah just to be myself and it's okay it has a certain charm too I guess people like that so I, I would never want to be someone I'm not you know absolutely well it wouldn't be authentic then exactly it's so funny the idea that if you talk to the audience, they'll probably just get awkward look. <laughs> <laughs> or you tell a joke or you ask a question, like, don't ask questions, because like, I used to do that, and then I would just get crickets back at me, and it was like, okay. Oh, then, <laughs> you know. you ask, you're like, oh, these people hate me. <laughs> <laughs> then you get in your head, and yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's funny. I only get nervous, like, when I have to speak. I don't, I don't care about singing. I'm fine with it, but it's when I have to talk to the audience that I'm like, oh. <laughs> But yeah, that'll come with experience, I think, as well. Yeah, that's definitely a trial and error thing, which you learned through practice. <laughs> yes. At any point, did you ever suffer from performance anxiety? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, it's rare that performers don't start out that way at some point. You know, like for me at the beginning, I, giving a recital even in front of my family and and friends' parents was like the worst possible thing to imagine. Um, and, you know, yeah, like, for sure, with more experience, it also depends on the circumstance, right? So if, if like, I'm singing in front of, you know, a huge festival and there's way too many people, then, yes, of course, I'm going to be a little nervous. But I think um, I think I get nervous, like, at the beginning. I get, like, those butterflies. And then, and then once I start, like, it's fine, you know? Because if it's well rehearsed, and, I mean, if there's good communication on stage with your... Um, with your bandmates then there's no reason that it won't that it won't go well you know there's no there's there's a big sense of improvisation as well um and you don't really know how how the song's gonna go because you know you never play the same song twice as well so that's kind of a blessing as well um but yeah for sure i mean i've forgotten lyrics and stuff i'm really bad with words <laughs> so um so yeah there, it just depends on so many different factors and, and circumstances when you're going into a performance, as you said, you know that there is that improvisational aspect to it and you're feeling nervous. Does that ever get in the way of your ability to be free on stage? No, actually, I don't think so. Um, because, you know, there's this thing where, I mean, and I teach this to my students as well, is, is like you, you have to sort of find a middle ground between overthinking and then also being on autopilot you know like on one hand you don't want to be thinking about everything that's going on and in your head and on the other hand you don't want to be completely on autopilot where you're not even thinking about you know you're not aware of of where you are in the form of the piece for instance so so it's really like trying to be aware of what's going on of the communication with with the musicians around you and and just kind of feeling free but also in control Kind of, it's kind of hard, but once again, that does come with with time and and the more you do it, and also trusting your band, right? Like that's huge. Um, trusting that they'll be able to to have your back, like you know, especially you know in terms of introductions or in terms of of um, arrangements. Uh, if you just if you communicate, like I I I'm a big communicator on stage. I like to look at everyone when they're soloing. Oftentimes, I even like turn my back to the audience if the bass player is playing. That's kind of my thing. Just because I like to look at what's going on. I want to know how many solos you're going to take, you know, look at me or like, oh, are we going to um, trade or, you know, like I, I like that. I don't want everything to be too planned. So for me, um, the reassurance I get is just from from looking and and yeah, just communicating with the with the musicians on stage. 
I think that's a, a part of what is so intoxicating about jazz to the audience is seeing the performers very comfortable, but so tuned in with one another that there is a buoyant sense of play. They don't come because mm. they want to hear the same thing that everyone's done, obviously, but they trust you to put them at ease. And if you're not comfortable on the stage to play off of one another, then I think the audience picks up on that symbiotically. They pick up on your nervousness or if you miss a beat and you make a face or something, even if you don't make a face, I think there's a moment with music that we subconsciously tune into where we're like, something was wrong there. Something went awry. And then the musicians continue on. And as a jazz musician, obviously you want to be so linked in that you don't have those awkward moments, those awkward transitions. So as you said, you can't be complacent because you're always anticipating what could happen. Where to mm. Yeah. And I mean, I've zoned out as well before, like, and that's really been <laughs> kind of awful. Like there's been moments where I, I do zone out and I forget the form, but also the reality is like people won't notice if, if you just like don't care about it. You know, I mean, I, I find that like people make mistakes. People aren't there to hear you do a perfect performance like nobody's in the audience I mean maybe I don't know maybe somebody's there like trying to <laughs> wait for you to mess up but usually that's not the case you have to just look at the bigger picture of the of the concert right people are going to remember certain moments but like I've had voice cracks on stage and like I used to be mortified and now I'm like you know what whatever like it's over the moment's done like when you mess up you have to just keep going because people won't dwell on it like you will you know mm -hmm. yeah I totally agree what is the biggest technical challenge that you faced with jazz singing that you needed to figure out with your voice? How do I do this? I think like not just for, for jazz even, but just singing in general, probably voice placement technique and, and breathing, um, phrasing as well. These are all things that, that I that I teach my students as well and I, I help them I help them try to try to understand this as well as is trying to sing and project through what we call forward singing uh, or like the mask area rather than than straining in your throat especially in terms of like dynamics I'm getting really technical but breathing is a huge part of it right like breathing it really starts with that you really have to to be mindful of of how much air you take in and how you use it um, to the end of your phrase uh, so that's that's probably how I would answer that I guess um, and just trying to grasp I guess speaking on the pitch. This is all stuff that my teacher passed on to me, um, and 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 speaking on the pitch just means like, you know, try to sing as naturally as you would if you were speaking. So oftentimes I'll have my students speak through a tune. So like just tell a story as if they were acting it, act out the lyrics instead of singing them, and then yeah, I just I want the voice to sound as natural as it would if we were having a conversation. That's a really good exercise to do is to speak on the pitch. I always try to demonstrate to my student, like, if your singing voice sounds totally, totally different than your speaking voice, then that's something to look at. Because if you're talking to me and you're projecting and I can hear that there's clarity in your voice, you know, you're not talking airy like this. Exactly. Right? So it's just singing and it's a very airy sound. Then I want to look at, okay, why, what is happening there? 100% yes definitely and that also goes into you know when you're speaking on the pitch you that that helps you tell the story better too you know like I think and it's funny people always say like oh it's it's such a gift to be able to to tell a story in a song and I, I really think that you can teach that you know like I think that it goes it goes with the breathing and the technique and all of that I think you can really you can really pass that on to other people it's just it's just like 
how you know actors can go to go to acting school um to get better and and you know just it's it's been really cool to see them evolve actually um it's really a tangible thing like people think it's such an untouchable thing but it's it's really not yeah when we look at stage presence and storytelling as two separate things you can definitely tackle it but you see a performer on stage and you're mesmerized and you think oh they're just so artistic Mm -hmm. first of all there's a psychological freedom to not care about people judging you so you can just mm-hmm. give whatever you have to give also I think life experience and, and what you've exposed yourself to because that makes you more of a diverse person which you share with your art and if you don't have anything to say then you can't tell a story but if you look at the lyrics of a song or you're writing a song it's going to mean something to you if you think about it enough so you get to that stage where you're not thinking about the technique but thinking about what you want to say and then that's when you really get to play with your artistry, I feel. Yeah, and I should add as well that, I, you know, there aren't any shortcuts either, you know. Like, it, you, you need to work hard, I think. Like, it, that's the other thing is it's not just going to come to you. You do need experience and you do need to get yourself out there and you do need to work. You know, there, there's all of these musicians and incredible artists, I think, do put in the work and it really does show. Exactly. And how did you learn how to scat? Any advice to people trying to learn? Yeah. Uh, well, again, I, I learned from transcribing a lot, um, not just instrumental, but but also singers, of course, um, and especially towards the beginning of their careers. Uh, like I find like um, Ella and Sarah are really interesting. Their language, especially just seeing how it builds over time. Um, but but, you know, also just playing with people over and over again uh, from performing, from attending jam sessions, from being on the scene and just just really once again, absorbing, absorbing the language. Um, it, it's all connected, you know. And you now have a private voice studio for lessons. What is a challenge your students often face and how do you go about overcoming it with them? We're taught to sing something so square, I find. I don't know, like sometimes. Like, especially with jazz singing, you can take so many liberties with the phrasing. Like, you don't have to sing something so just how the how the song's written. You can really play with it. You can, like, sing a little bit ahead of the beat or a little behind on the beat. Like, if you're doing something with a Latin feel, for instance, you can you can kind of ride the wave a little bit and just, just you know, surrender to the groove of what's going on, I guess. Uh, so yeah, that's hard. I think that's really difficult for them to to take liberties with the phrasing. And it goes along with like trying to be conversational with it and it just it does take practice, but that is that is hard to to grasp, I think. Just because it's it's really a matter of trusting yourself and trying something out of your comfort zone because it's not something that's like typically expected, I guess. Oh, I want you to like be off the beat right now, you know? <laughs> it's kind of like it's it's a bit strange, but um but yeah, I would say that's probably the the one thing that's that's difficult uh and then and how i help them is is i guess i just like i again i tell them to speak through it how would you speak this like you can you have so much room in a line like especially with a tune for instance where you you don't have very many lyrics you have so much space and that's the hardest like you know like ballads are the hardest thing to sing because you have so much space and how you use your space is so crucial you know because if you sing it you know, you want to fill up from start to finish um, your phrase, for instance, and there's just like four words on it. And if you leave too much space between each word, it's going to sound a bit awkward. So just make it like a conversation. You can leave a lot of space at the end of the line or at the beginning of the line. 
one of the biggest problems I find with students that seem to be stuck and only singing things one way is that they've just heard it done. Like they've listened to this recording over and over again, and now it's drilled. Yes. So I ask them to do something that feels so against their habit that it almost feels painful. Like, okay, we're going to take this phrase four times slower than it's actually done and perform it that way. But just to change the habit and show your body how other ways it could go about making those sounds and say, okay, now we're just going to do intervals on every note. Like you're going to yodel it, like just to break the habit. Exactly. And also like, I should also add, you know, some people have one version of a song that they love and that's the only one they know. But oftentimes that won't even be the original melody, you know, like, especially if it's a more modern artist doing a jazz standard, you know, people don't know that it's a standard. Like people will think that, that this artist wrote it when in reality, no, it's it's been written years and years and years ago. Here's the original piece. And they're like, oh, my God, it's so different. And I'm like, yeah, it is. So I, I really um, encourage my students to listen to as many versions of something as they can. In jazz, of course, um, it's really important because the music is it is really uh, one big repertoire and people do the, the same songs over again. Um, so it's really like tie, it ties into the history. And I, I really try to uh, pinpoint that as well in my classes, you know, to just, just listen to as many versions as you can. And that's how you absorb it. And that's how you make it your own, really. Because um, at the end of the day, you want to make something original out of it. You don't want to copy what you're hearing, especially if it's just one version. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where do you see the future of jazz going even in the face of the global pandemic? Yeah, so that's hard. Um, <laughs> it's definitely a big question mark. Uh, nobody has the answer to that right now. I think, you know, y y it's hard to think too far into the future. I really try to just take it day by day and, you know, keep practicing at home, keep trying to adapt and find the the motivation to, you know, work on my online presence and, and work on my students and my studio um because you know who knows i mean i think that definitely uh things will change I, I don't know that things will be completely back to normal but i do think that that people will adapt and musicians will adapt and and you know whatever that means um everything's always changing anyways you know that's inevitable so so we'll adapt the music will definitely live on and, and continue to inspire and that's not going anywhere so that's reassuring at least do you have any upcoming online performances or an anticipated album release, something that people could keep an eye out for if they want to see you perform or hear you? Yeah, I have my second album in the works. Um, I really don't have a release date for that yet, but yes, uh, people can, can be anticipating that at some point. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for chatting with me. It was really a pleasure to know more about you as an artist and your process. Thank you. To be like sister and brother until tonight when we looked at each other. That was the end of a beautiful friendship and just the beginning of love.